In the world of classical Christian education, if there is an enemy that has more ability to undermine our work in shaping hearts and affections of students, it's the one-eyed cyclops, the digital screen. We live in a tech world and are blessed in many ways, but the all-pervasive screen voices flood into the eyes and minds of so many of our students and, well, for us, for hours a day. Short of heading off into Amish country, what can we do to be in the digital world but not of it? My guest today begins with a thoughtful exploration of God's command for us as humans to have dominion over the earth, which includes technology. How do we make informed choices based on our faith and theology in a way that practically impacts our lives as adults and for the sake of our children? Stay tuned to this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. You know, one of the unique vantage points I have in both doing this podcast and my work with the SCL is the opportunity to really look kind of at the 30,000 foot, what's happening across our nation, literally across the world, in terms of God raising up people to join this amazing movement that we call classical Christian education. And more and more, I'm hearing these amazing testimonies of people that are uh, doing massive life 180s and not only coming to faith, but coming to discover the opportunity to raise the next generation up. So I love hearing your stories, and I mean that with sincerity. And whether it's just a, a quick hello and where you're listening from to tell me more of your stories is, is you're going to be hearing more and more kind of every other episode right now. We're doing the Climbers series where I do a short interview with one of you, the listeners, and just get a chance to celebrate and hear more about what you're doing. Lots of startup schools out there. I have a, a real heart for the courage it takes to be pioneers. So kudos to you. We'd love to pray for you and support you. And certainly those internationally, those are another unique environment. We have schools that are and a lot of urban environments that are that are new and coming online. We have schools in lots of places, um, including the obvious, uh, maybe more obvious, kind of the five-day-a-week brick-and-mortar suburban schools that have been the bedrock um, for the last 40, 50 years of classical Christian schools. So a lot of things happening across the the globe, um, and also including, I think, homeschooling, although we don't directly speak probably to homeschool audiences much. That's just yet another sign of God moving and, and raising up a generation to really know how to think uh, with excellence and to um, believe in a way that is going to stand the test of the culture that keeps pushing hard into our into our lives and into the, the doors of our homes even. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Love to hear your story, info at basecamplive.com, and I appreciate Jordan Devine uh, emailing me recently, and I just want to read Jordan's email back. He says, good morning. I just wanted to reach out and say how thankful I am for the Basecamp Live podcast. I'm a student teacher with Madison Christian in Ohio and have been exposed to the classical Christian education model that has been life-changing for me. It feels like my soul is complete. This way of educating just makes sense to me down to my soul. He writes, he says, your podcast has helped me in many areas of my life, so much so that it has become a part of my daily routine. Um, And I listen to y'all while I'm getting ready for the day, during the week, and on most weekends. Well, thanks, Jordan. We have over 200 episodes, so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll keep putting enough out there so you can listen daily, but sure appreciate it. And blessings to you as you, you join us here in the classical Christian 
education journey. Hey, special thanks as well to our sponsors, our platinum sponsors. Want to say thank you to the Focus Group, to CLT, Classical Learning Test, or the Classic Learning Test, as well as CAP, the Classical Academic Press. All these folks do very important work in furthering the movement from curriculum to testing to helping with fundraising and development. So really important work, and we have great partners out there. But again, before we jump into this episode, do email, email info at basecamplive.com. Well, in this episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Jeff Menji. Jeff is the Southeast Regional Strategist uh, for the Southern Baptist Church of Virginia. So interesting position as a strategist. He gets to look across the horizon and try to figure out what do churches need, which is very similar to what schools need in terms of navigating the waters of our of our current culture. Jeff has written several books, including Call to Cooperate, a Biblical Survey and Application of Teamwork, and then the book that we're talking about, Digital Dominion, Five Questions Christians Should Ask to Take Control of Their Digital Devices. He and his wife, Lauren, live in Newport, Newport News with their two boys, Aiden and Carter. So without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Jeff and talk about important ways that we can help mitigate the digital screen that's all around our world. Well, Jeff Mingi, welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies, thanks so much. Honored to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast. I told a friend of mine that I was going to uh, be with you, and they just lit up. Our kids go to the same classical school together, so thanks for having me. 100%. No, thank you for being here, and I love I love hearing stories like that. So you were telling me your wife teaches first grade, is that right? She does. She teaches first grade at Covenant Classical in Hampton, Virginia. Okay. And we've got two boys that go there. Wow. And then by day, you were in a really interesting role as a strategist with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. So you're trying to figure out how do we do ministry in this crazy world, it sounds like. I am. I serve around 130 churches with the SBC of Virginia and the Southeast region. Phenomenal network. But yep, ministry is uh, messy these days. Yeah. And the big messy is this, what I, I call the 800 pound gorilla that, you know, comes sauntering in the back of our churches, in the back of our schools, and not even in the back anymore. I think the gorilla is now like sitting at our, in the table at the classrooms and in our homes, and it's the digital gorilla. Um, and you've written this book, Digital Dominion, uh, five questions Christians should ask to take control of digital devices. Tell me a little bit more about kind of why the book. Sure. You're absolutely right. It is the gorilla and it's not in the back. It's on the front pew or the front uh, front seat of the classroom or uh, it's in the driver's seat of the car. If you're anything like our family, I mean, it's, it's just um, it's, it's there. And so the, the book began as a paper for Dr. Ashford at Southeastern Seminary, and um, I, I wrote a paper for a class on faith and culture, and I wanted to tackle the topic of, man, how does the Bible speak to how I use my digital devices? And it begins, I think, in Genesis 1 with God's command to have dominion and fleshed that out. What, how does how does that command to have dominion over the created world, how does that to apply to devices like my laptop or my cell phone or the Nintendo Switch? Hmm. How does this command apply in these ways? And uh, fleshed it out into these five questions that I hope are practical uh, handles on a really tough topic. Yeah. And and I don't, spoiler alert, I mean, we are going to get in very quickly to these fantastic five questions. But, you know, Jeff, it struck me as I read the book, like sometimes the obvious isn't so obvious. Like I, I doubt you would find a classical Christian parent or educator that, you know, wasn't quick to criticize or, or caution against 
phones and devices and, you know, it's couch kind of like back in my day, we didn't have them or they were flip phones. And now these things are so horrible. But have we really gone to that next step as believers and unpacked what's the theological back backbone behind our, our concern about this? And we're going to get into it and get very practical here as well. But you know, just again, kind of framing the nature of the problem. I'm, I'm curious kind of what you're seeing. And, and again, I want to get into, you, you have a section in the book that I love, which is kind of a day in the typical life of a person today from the minute the alarm clock goes off to the end and you realize like, oh my gosh, we are, we are really captured by these devices. And I mean, I think if we're all honest, parents, classical educators included, I think in the book you, you talk, was it 222 times a day, the average person picks up their phone? Is that, is that still correct? That sounds about right. And that's probably on the low end. Most statistics in regards to our digital devices are low because we we think we're a lot better at it than we are. Mm. And so if I say I check it 10 times, I'm really checking it 15 times. Yeah. yeah. We even talked, <laughs> I laugh because you're talking about the, what is it, the phantom experience? Like, you know, wait, I feel something oh, yeah. vibrating. The phone's not even, I'm like, my body is now literally become one with this device that it vibrates in it, you know, <laughs> on its own because yep. there's some interaction going on. Um, yeah, we've we've began to to feel these phantom buzzes. I mean, that is we have a pro- we have a problem, Jeff. You're right, and I love that you talk about we like we're like little kids with scissors running around. Like maybe we need some wisdom here. <laughs> yep, yep, and that's the goal. That's the goal. It is a the book is a 100 page primer, so this is not exhaustive by any by any stretch of the imagination. This is an introduction to let's stir the pot. Let's get these yeah. questions going. Yeah, and so again, I think again just to put it in the context of classical Christian schools. Again, we control that time. Generally, 745 to 3, 301 problem happens that we talk about where Cyclops, the one-eyed digital monster, comes flying out of the locker. And by the way, it might have been with them all day on their Apple phones that we hadn't been monitoring. And, um, and you know, they're, they're after our kids' hearts and minds and loves and affections. So help us understand, though, kind of just, we know there's a problem there. Again, you even mentioned, again, these statistics are just jaw-dropping. And I don't know why. Female students at Baylor University reported using their cell phone an average of 10 hours a day. My son's at Baylor. Like, I got to call him. I don't know. Maybe the guys have got it figured out there or what's going on at Baylor. But that's probably not just a Baylor problem. 10 hours a day is an astounding amount of time. So It is. Go ahead and kind of frame up, because I want to get into the first question in just a moment. But Again, what are you seeing in terms of just maybe where are we missing it theologically in terms of understanding this problem? Sure. So I think it's helpful to begin in the beginning. I mean, let's let's just start at Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so so let's let's begin with man, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, am am I thinking about the Lord when I when I pick up my phone? And those familiar with the Bible know that that not only did did God create the world, but he created Adam and Eve and placed them in it. And he said, okay, here's the garden, have dominion over it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to create out of the raw materials that I have created. So I I think it's JD Greer says that they weren't called to be protectors or, or guards. They were called to be cultivators and creators. So it's right that we create, it's right that we create technology and devices, but it's also critical that we have dominion over them. And uh, God said, have dominion. So what does that look like? Am I having dominion the way the Lord intended for me to have dominion? Or am I just mindlessly thinking, well, of course I want to watch the next episode. Of course I want to get the latest iPhone. Of course I want to upgrade the app. Um, Upgrades are always good, aren't they? Well, maybe not. 
And, and, you know, maybe unlimited access online is not the way to flourish, yeah. uh, but rather the call is to have dominion. So I, I think as a parent, I want to help my boys have dominion over their devices. Um, I don't think the answer to that is to become monks, um, you know, and, and cut off all all technology. I, I agree with Tony Ranke, who uh, loved your pot, your episode with with uh, Tony. I'm a I'm a, um, a digital uh, tech optimist. Right. I think I believe God is at work in this and using these tools for his his good purposes. Yeah. But uh, but I think there's a call to be wise. Yeah. And I think that's good to say from the beginning, because it's this is it'd be easy just to let's all go Luddite here and burn all the phones in the parking lot and, you know, roll out the flip phones. I mean, I that's actually attractive, <laughs> but not yeah, realistic. It, it, yeah, yeah, it has its moments. It has its moments. And and again, to frame up just so we all because you said it, I just want to reiterate. I mean, we're, there is so much kingdom opportunity through technology and you really get into that in the fifth question and 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 i'm glad you said that i mean this is as listeners know i mean i am certainly very pro-technology we're using technology right now um you know my a lot of my own life journey has been in the in the tech world actually presented at the 2004 lausanne forum on the world evangelism on using media based technology was part of a a program we took over uh, one million people's photos using digital cameras in the early days and web-based ways of connecting the gospel to them. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole thing, another thing for another day, but yeah, we absolutely need to use the use technology. Um, and I think that's part of the hard thing is where is that razor's edge of balance? And it's going to depend on the mm-hmm. age of our kids and the, our own self-control. And, and I know that comes out, we'll get to that in just a, in a bit here about just self-control being a fruit of the spirit. Like we've lost that. And I wonder how much technology has actually <laughs> caused every other area of our life to kind of be undermined as far as that. So, um, yeah, so say a little bit more, you know, before we get a break, just kind of looking at this first question. So if we jump into this first question, it, it's simply, am I in control? So the, the first question out of the five is, is, it's not a complicated question, but it's not a, it, it, it's a tough one. Am, am I in control? We recognize that out of control saints don't glorify God. Right. We, we don't glorify God by just saying, well, I, let me assume that everything's good and I'll just blindlessly accept every app and every um, every notification. And of course, let's yeah push through notifications on everything. Um, no, self-control or excuse me, control is a, a, an important part of this. So the first question is, am I am I in control? Um, I think it's important and helpful to look at that question Um from the affections, which I know, I know you you talk a lot about, and we in classical education we really want to drive at those affections, and specifically love for God and love for neighbor. Um, exercising self control is an act of love for God. Specifically, when we you know three hundred one hits and I grab that cell phone, I'm I'm not checking out of my love for God, and so how do I how do I take that? Um, that love for God, he is first and foremost in my affections. And how does that govern which apps I download and how much time I spend on the screen or, you know, how I use my email? So it's, it's not only love for God, though, it's also love for neighbor, uh, first and, and second commandment. And how do I, how do I exercise digital self-control uh, out of love for neighbor? So, for example, if I want to make my wife a smoothie before school in the morning, well, I have to have the digital self-control to put a, put the phone away and make the smoothie. 
right? If, if she's got to leave at 630, I can't wait till six. I can't scroll mindlessly till 629 and say, oh, no, wait, I love you. I want to make the smoothie. No, no, no. I've got to have the self-control to put the phone away much earlier than that in order to serve her and others well. So love, uh, love of God drives self-control. Love of neighbor drives self-control. And I think it's important to remember that that self-control is not a okay, let's have um, just just grit mastery over self. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And so how, how do we how do we exercise this fruit? well when it comes to our digital devices so jeff i'm curious because you're you know as i read the book and as you're talking i'm you know i'm trying to it parallels to me probably a similar conversation around maybe health and nutrition i mean there's a there's obviously a case to be made our bodies are temples we should eat well back off on the junk food get exercise and i think you know you can make a theological case for that i think most people would agree with that and i guess what i'm curious your opinion of is kind of you know at the end of the day we all tend to be driven by Deep, kind of the deep hidden needs, if you will. And you're, we're going to get to some of that, you know, in terms of our identity and how that plays into it. But I wonder, in the case of like food, for instance, it may be that you're overeating because you're compensating because you're you're anxious or maybe because of um, some self-esteem issues. Or in the case of, I think it was Chesterton who said, you know, every man that enters a brothel is actually looking for God. So, I mean, is it is pornography the problem or is it really a deep something deeper in our soul? And I wonder, like when we, you know, we say, how do we love our neighbor and love God in self-control? I mean, some of what it is isn't just, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe that I missed that theologically. But I think for most of us, it's, no, I'm after something at a more kind of visceral level that's controlling me and making me do something I don't, maybe I'm not, you know, I, I know is wrong. I'm spending too much time, but I just need this hit, if you will. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I, I think so. And it goes back to the affections. When When my affections are, um, what I see or who I see in the mirror, my devices are, are just going to be um, fuel on the fire of that self-worship. Yeah. And it, so, yeah, I, I think it's important to realize that, that um, uh, our doctrine of sin needs to impact how we understand our devices to be made and how we use our devices. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and what they reflect about us. I mean, I think, you know, at one point right. you talked about, I mean, they're, <laughs> We talk about the the phantom buzzing. I mean, they really have become an appendage of our body. And if Google gets their way, they're going to be, you know, embedded chips here before long, which is super scary. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it is it is what you see is what you get. I mean, out of out of the heart, um, you know, comes comes a man. I mean, there, there's our behavior based on what we love and who we are and how we're driven. So I think that's a, a great point is is how we see, you know, where's that dominion <laughs> and where's the sense yeah. of loving our neighbor in the midst of all that. So. Um, and, and we're, and if we're in control or not, but it sounds like we're not in control. I mean, that's the bottom line. We are generally running around the ring in our nose. I don't think we are in control. I, I don't think we're exercising dominion the way we're intended to. And I think that we are forfeiting a whole lot of joy yeah. because of our lack of control. Yeah. And well, and, and you, again, the rising depression rates, suicide rates, all these things. I mean, okay, everybody blames on COVID, but I think it was there all along and it's been a direct derivative of what this technology is doing to us. And there's a lot we could say there. So that's probably a good setup for the second question. You know, how is all this shaping me? Um, So why don't we take, take a quick break? We'll come right back and jump into this next question. It's time for another quick classical Christian Q&A with Dr. Tim Dernlin. So Tim, our question today is, why is phonics used to learn reading? A lot of folks talk about phonics, hooked on phonics, but why? what is that and why is it so important? 
it's so great. So a lot of more modern methodologies will use the look-see method or just memorization of whole words, whole word method. But using a, a phonics-based program to learn 70 different phonograms really helps with learning your letters and letter combinations and the different sounds in the English language. There's so many different sound combinations that help children to learn to read any word that they see just by mastering the simple uh, fundamentals of the 70 different phonograms. And so if you master those at an early age, you can read um, any anything, any um, any medical dictionary, any any words that you run into. And so we're really trying to give students tools for life lifelong learning. And so mastering the phonics and the phonograms helps the yep. children um, read for life. Well, it's really the essence of the grammar part of grammar education. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're Amen. learning the building blocks. And to, you're right, too often kids are just flat memorizing with no idea what they're even looking at. And so you have, you have, the, you don't have the tools. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for any parents that are uh, concerned in first or second grade and they just want to push into the old school way of memorizing spelling words, um, I'd say just really take the time to slow down and memorize those phonics and it'll, it'll yeah. uh, do better for life. I got twitchy when you said memorizing spelling. I just had a flashback <laughs> to grammar school and it was called jam and cram and forget. And uh, I'm and, not going to tell you how many spelling <laughs> tests I didn't pass. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it, you know, maybe there's a place for them, but you're right. It, that is not education. That's, that's jam it in on Thursday, dump it out on Friday and it's long gone on Monday. So far better yeah. to learn how to actually work it with language and phonics. So thanks so much for giving us that understanding. Check out Dr. Dernland's book on 100 questions on classical Christian education. Got a question for him to answer on Basecamp Live? Send the question to info at Basecamp Live or leave us a message by voice or text on the Basecamp hotline, 833-595-2929. That's 833-595-2929. We look forward to hearing from you. So Jeff, we've talked a lot in the first segment about just the epidemic of digital uh, gorillas, if you will, that are chasing us, that we're inviting into our room, and that we're becoming maybe even. And so how is this affecting us? As you look at us as humans made in the image of God, how is technology shaping us? Davies, that's the critical question, is, is how is this shaping us? Uh, let me read just a section from the book. I would like to invite you to observe a day in the life of the stereotypical digital worshiper. At a precise and predetermined time, our subject is hijacked from rest with the repeated and increasingly loudening buzzes from her phone, carefully positioned within reach of her bed. She reaches from under the covers and silences the alarm with a quick swipe of her thumb. She has been digitally aroused, which may take on a whole different meaning later in the day, given statistics. A moment, a moment later, she stretches the power cord as far as allowed, further than the frayed cable and exposed wires recommend. She has stretched and twisted that cord one too many times. Her eyes adjust to the glowing screen. She is slowly coming to life with the nurturing help of her device. Having silenced the alarm, she checks social media to see what others have considered worth informing the digital world about while she was asleep. 
Her eyes scan headlines that report increasing global crises, accompanied by the furious comments of her friends, family, and coworkers, quickening her heartbeat before she's even thought about exercise. With another click, she has left her social circle for email and begins to browse through her collected mailbox. She sorts between daily real estate updates in her desired neighborhood, a reminder of what she does not have, promotions for local events, fueling her fear of missing out, and work-related updates, stirring anxiety and frustration for the day ahead. The mind that was sound asleep minutes ago is now swimming with a flurry of information. As she gets out of bed and prepares for the day, her phone is never far from her. She uses it to check the weather forecast. She checks her schedule for the day. She responds to text messages and sends some of her own in hope of making plans for later. Notable events pop up on the screen from time to time and fill the air with chimes of notification, beckoning her back to the phone. When she gets in the car to go to work, she uses the phone to listen to music and to direct her along the most time-efficient route with boy band-voiced directions warning her of hazards reported ahead. At work, she is plugged into her computer yet keeps her phone nearby. In fact, every few minutes, she checks it just to see if she has missed anything. During the morning work routine, she connects via text message with her friend for lunch plans. She makes sure to set an alarm so she won't forget. At lunch, she holds her phone up to the register to pay, trading no niceties with the person behind the counter. While the friends eat, the, their conversation is driven by who posted what recently, and they both continue to check their phones throughout. At the end of the workday, she heads home and uses her phone to look up the recipe for dinner, as well as to time how long things need to cook. With her phone, she watches TV and plays some games to pass a few hours. Of course, each event is interrupted a few times with the notification that something, either a funny meme from a friend or breaking news of a shooting, requires her attention. As she settles in for the night, she makes sure to plug her phone in so that it can recharge just as she does. They'll both need the energy to do it all again tomorrow. Oh. Our phones have shaped wow. us. Uh, from okay, the minute we get up to the minute we go to bed. Gosh, Jeff, uh, they, they are shaping us. I think folks are thinking, "Uh oh, he's been got the webcam in, on my life right now, watching it." That is that's convicting, and yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like, is he going to mention when I used it for a flashlight too? I mean, like we use I, yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I, no, I don't have a camera in your house or or through your phone. This is self reflection. I am I'm far more concerned with my own use than anybody else's. hundred uh, percent. So, uh, uh, yeah, right there with you. Well, and you know, and again, you we kind of we we fool ourselves perhaps because a lot of it's like, well, I'm not just reading. Maybe, you know, for somebody who says, well, I'm not just looking at the latest, you know, gossipy news rags. I'm, you know, I've, I've got my devotion that was sent to me or, you know, I was in a church recently up in the balcony looking down and it was, it was shocking the glow of phones that were on. And I, you know, I could kind of see, I think most people were generally looking at their Bible app, which I'm sure was there, but how on earth do you use a phone in the middle of a church service and not be tempted to, you know, see the text pop up or check the weather or i mean you're just it's just unbelievable how we don't even see this anymore absolutely absolutely you're you're right it's 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 um there's potential for tremendous good i mean what spiritual encouragement we can receive but what distraction at yeah. the same time? And uh, so when we ask this question, how is this shaping me? It is. It's important to do a self-evaluation. Um, I mean, pay attention for the next 24 hours to how often you use a digital device. 
um, start right now. You're listening to this podcast, but don't cut it off. Device. <laughs> and no, 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 no. And right. Praise right. God for that. Absolutely. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, but then notice throughout the day. Oh, okay. You've got a smart TV that you're watching TV on. And, um, even during the show, you're watching this and you're, uh, maybe your child's playing on another device and, and just watch throughout the day. Um, all of the ways that that technology is shaping us. And one of the sobering things that we realize is that we do not know the direction technology is going. Nobody yeah. does. Yeah. N nobody does. Yeah. And to today's cutting edge is going to be tomorrow's recycled old news. Yeah. And so um, this this is challenging. I mean, we've got to think through how how is this shaping me so just and we're going to jump to the next question in just a second but i as you're saying that i'm thinking probably 15 years ago i think it was nicholas carr wrote an article in atlantic i think atlantic published it on a book he'd written called this google making us stupid um and it's interesting you know he he'd kind of uh just bemoaned the fact that even as a journalist you know 30 years 20 years before he would read long-form books and now he finds it very difficult to read anything other than just a very short news feed because we've all become basically ADD because of this. So are you, you're talking about that kind of shaping as well. I mean, we're re really being rewired in terms of our processing uh, of, of information, the way we think, and certainly our souls are getting caught up in that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's having a shaping effect. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, classical Christian education, which goes after the heart and the affections, is so helpful and so needed yeah. uh, today. Um, yeah. We've got we've to submit ourselves and, and see our hearts and, and wants and desires shaped uh, by God and his word. And, um, and I, I think, uh, I think this is a, yeah. an important conversation to be having. Yeah. And you're saying that again, kind of by way of antidote, what we do in our classrooms, you know, we, we tend to think in terms of our great books and the quality of the literature and all that, but at a very basic level, we're asking children to sit still and to, whether it's in grammar school, all the way through high school and to focus on the habit of attending well and, and to think deeply, like these are just incredibly radical ideas. I was talking to a classical Christian upper school educator recently, and, and he unfortunately was saying, you know, in the last five years, I've seen students come in my classroom and they are so just scattershot. It's so hard mm -hmm. to get them to attend. And so how on earth do we read great books if they can't even focus? But we're, we're, we're trying hard to be the antidote to that, um, that shaping effect. So, which, which leads Jeff to kind of the third question you ask us to consider, which is, does this help me flourish? What do you, what do you after there? Yep. So if we, we previously asked the question, how is this technology devices shaping me? And we recognize that, that God is shaping and sanctifying his people. He is at work forming and conforming his people into the image of Christ. And the end of that is what we might call flourishing. Uh, flourishing is the idea of, of being uh, fully alive. And I, I know you, you've thought more about this and um, you could probably speak as, a, as an expert, more of an expert on this. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. But um, Tony Ranke, who is a phenomenal author in this regard, he asked the question, what is the best use of my smartphone in the flourishing of my life? And I think that's a great, a great way to put the question. If, if I look at God's definition and description of human flourishing. Are my digital devices helping me get there or are they hindering me in the process? As a pastor, one of the questions that I've asked is, 
are digital devices making our the members of our church difficult to disciple? Hmm. And how can I navigate that? How, how is this device helping me? One of the things that, that struck me in my research for this book is there's an interview in which the CEO of Netflix um, shared that their number one competitor was not Amazon Prime or not any other streaming service. Netflix's number one competitor is sleep. Wow. Makes sense. That was so. Yeah, it does. That's why. That's why before the episode even ends, the the countdown starts. Do you want to watch the next episode? And and it's not really asking you. It's assuming your answer is yes because it's going to start with you or without you. And uh, I just realized that is that is such a different understanding of flourishing than the Lord gives to His beloved sleep. Wow. It's like an automatic arm that pops out of the potato chip bag that serves you the next potato chip. I mean, you never, you would eat the whole bag. <laughs> At, right, right, I mean, if right, you, right. It's about what and, it is. And then I look mean, for the next one. And you're, yeah. yeah, you can't eat with just one. I mean, it's, you're right. It's, it's, believe me, there, there are people with triple PhDs to your point that are sitting there thinking about just human psychology and behavior and how do we hook you on this? And to your point, it's a, it's a direct attack on the Sabbath, on the rhythms of rest. And so blurry eyed kids and parents show up at our school uh, because they've been, binging all night honestly yeah and and our devices are created they're created by men and women with an aim and an end in mind and if it's a business if it's an organization their aim and their end is to make money that's that's understandable i mean we we can't fault them for that but i also am not going to just mindlessly give them my my attention uh chris martin's book uh, talks about the um the cost of social media there is a cost. The app might be free, but there is a very real cost uh, to social media and to technology. So I think as we ask this question um, about, about flourishing, I think a biblical picture of human flourishing is understanding God's design, God's design for the world, which he created, God's design for me as an individual made in his image and under his command and rule and reign. Uh, I think um, I think we would do well to return to somebody like J.C. Ryle and his call to holiness, personal holiness, to say, okay, um, do my devices help me in my pursuit of holiness, or do they hinder me? And and how can I how can I maybe set some practices in place like a digital Sabbath uh, to pursue holiness in a digital age? So Jeff, coming at it from <clears throat> I love that idea of the digital Sabbath, <clears throat> and I want to unpack that more. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking. Often we talk on this show, I reference the um, Thomas Chalmer, the Scottish philosopher, mm. theologian's um, writing on the power of a new, of effect, new affection. And, and he makes the case quite convincingly and correctly that we are, we are as humans motivated more by a call to a virtue than uh, negating a, you know, a, a vice. And I think that mm-hmm. as you're talking about that, I'd love for you to unpack even more. Uh, you know, yes, we know we're supposed to be called to holiness, and yes, we're to, we're to pursue God's design, but I almost wonder, and I think about even as, as adults conveying this to young people, like there is a better, a better rush, if, if I can use that term, I must think about like, you sure. know, trying to convince me to get exercise and telling me all the reasons that I need to do that so I don't get, I'm not overweight is one thing, or <clears throat> letting me experience an endorphin rush at the end of a run, I'm thinking, hey, I want that again. I want that, that experience of finding myself in this case, in the midst of God's design and the sense of I'm I'm following pursuing something so amazing with my life. All of a sudden, the phone feels like a bad second option. 
So what are some, how do we get there? Yep. Yep. It, it is a, it is, you're right. Bad second option is a great way to put it. Um, and, and Chalmers in that, in that explosive power of a, a new affection, it, it is a helpful, helpful voice. So, so how do we get there? Well, I think we need to, as Andy Crouch puts it, we need to put technology in its proper place. And it does have a proper place. There's a lot of good that technology can do. We've we've got it set up right now where um, we can text pictures to a certain phone number and it will go to my wife's 101-year-old grandfather's digital frame. Oh, that's He states away. He's not going to see Carter play the guitar, but I can show him. And, and, and so that's, awesome. that's a gift, but but I've got to keep it in its in its proper place. If I don't, then not only am I out of control, but it begins to take control. And um, and so I think practicing a digital Sabbath is a helpful, practical way to say, OK, let me maybe technology has gotten to be too much. Maybe it's gotten out of out of place. How do I get it back? Well, take a day or if you can't do a day, take take a segment of a day. If, if you can't do a segment of a day, take the drive to school or to work and just put the phone in the glove compartment and it'll be there when you arrive. It's not going anywhere. Um, I, in the book, I, I encourage people to, to take 24 hours, 24 hours and put the phone away, put devices away, um, recharge without your devices. Um, I think the local church gathering is a great place to start this. Don't take your phone into church. Now, again, some people use it to take notes. Some people use it to um, read their, uh, you know, they've got their their Bible app. Uh, okay, okay, maybe. But I would encourage you to get a paper Bible, you know, uh, open it up, grab a pen, take some notes um, and, and put the phone away. Now, some people will say, well, what if somebody needs to get in touch with me? Okay, m- maybe they will, but but give it a try and see how many emergencies happen during that one two-hour window a week. Yeah. You know, I, I think you'll find that that you'll you'll get greater joy from not having your phone yeah. than you would with it. Well, and Jeff, I know most, you, you talked about this in the book, but I mean, they're smartphones for a reason. There are abilities to go in there, not only track how much time you're on the phone, but you can just, you can just shut off particular apps so you could really sure. you know thin it down to functioning phone and a calculator and you don't need to have all that stuff on during the weekends or whatever i think that's a great idea you know as you were saying that i was saying a number of years ago i taught a middle school class on leadership and we did a three-day digital fast and i had them document kind of the experience and a couple of things that came out of that just to affirm what you're saying was by by nature of them not having a device they had to find other things to do and what they rediscovered was sort of the joy of going outside or, you know, playing a sport. And they, and I think there's something that, again, back to that idea, we need to, it's not just get rid of the phone, but replace it with something that God really mm-hmm. optimized and designed. Whether I was on vacation recently yeah. with our family and my sister taught us to play hearts and there we were playing cards with about eight family members. And after two hours, I was like, this is really beautiful and rare air that we're all sitting here just playing this card game and talking and there's not a phone to be found. Like I want that again. Now you've 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 awakened an appetite for something beautiful, which I think you're saying is part of. Can we w- awaken our students and awaken us as adults to? I want to flourish, and this is what it looks like. Yep. Yeah. C.S. Lewis's illustration of we're we're making mud pies, yeah. mud pies while while a, a holiday at the sea awaits <laughs> us is. Yep. You're you're absolutely right. There yeah. is a better way. Yeah. We need more holiday brochures to remind us to. <laughs> 
stop sitting yeah. there and eating the mud pies and all of that. So yeah, it's 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 a challenge. Well, let's take another quick break, Jeff. I want to come back. We're gonna tackle two more questions and again look at some really you do a great job in the book of just laying out some very practical wisdom on how to implement this in everyday life um, in such a way that we will we will flourish so we'll be right back after this break he's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist it's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. Keith, most of our, our listeners have children involved in classical Christian schools, and we celebrate the fact that these schools are certainly compared to many out there today, a little bit more rigor, homework involved, challenging. Um, how do we, how do we uh, when the kids come home from long days, what can we do to kind of help encourage them and not maybe uh, discourage them by being too sympathetic to how challenging it may they may claim it is. Yeah, you know, my uh, uh, both of my children were educated in a Christian classical school, um, and they're out of out of school now, college or career career world. Um, so I've got some experience with that. Personally. You were even on a board. Of, I was like, on a board for many years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know that's a complaint. You know, the Christian classical world can often get is that man they they work so hard during the day, then they have all this homework, and and that's valid at times. There's no question that it, it is a harder educational path, I think, in many ways. It requires a little more of a student than, than many schools that are not in this world. Um, so the question really is, how can we best help them knowing that this is the educational world they're in? And the danger is, I see with a lot of parents, is they kind of go to the extreme that, oh, because it's, it, it's, it's a tough school day at times, then we're the Disneyland parents. When they come home, they're so off duty. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're off duty. They're, they don't have responsibilities. Um, and on the one hand, that sounds enticing, but it's playing into this notion of always keeping our children happy and being overly sympathetic. And we're not helping them, not helping them at all. If anything, we want to help them learn to succeed in that environment. So when they're a little bit older, they manage it on their own very well. And for me, the way that's done, what I recommend to folks and what I've seen work very well is put your children's afternoon in a healthy order. You know, they come in from school uh, don't let them completely off the hook, but also don't hammer them about everything. Just put it in order, in the order that I recommend to folks. And, and think about grammar school first, because we do it well in grammar school. We set it up for success after that. In grammar school, your child comes in and you say, look, very simply, you know, change your clothes, grab a snack. And we really don't care when you do this, but you can't do anything else, no other major pursuits of anything until your homework's done. So if they need to walk around the backyard or lay on the floor a little bit, you know, things like that, you, we kind of leave them alone. But before they can get to any real privileges, they need to come in and get their homework done. That shows respect for this part of their life, which is a student. And so in getting their homework done first and getting it out of the way, then when they get to experiencing freedom, they're truly free. They're truly free after that to experience whatever you're allowing in the family. Yeah, and it makes a great continuity because a school day is very, they don't just get to lay in the hallway whenever they want. I mean, they have, there is a structure right. to it, but there's right. also, it's, it's but there's play. A, there's, there's, a, there's a freedom in yeah. it, but yeah. we don't let them move on to another phase of life right. until they've really <laughs> completed this phase of yeah. life. When we put that pattern in place, when they're in middle school and high school, yeah. those students manage that much better because exactly. they realize I'm going to take care of this first and then truly enjoy my yeah. freedom. Work hard and play hard. Right. There you go. Thanks, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com 
and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. So Jeff, kind of in this final stretch here, you've, you've awakened us and reminded us and probably convicted us <laughs> that as Christ followers, we need to not be uh, bowing at the altar of our digital devices. And we really want to lead lives that are flourishing. And I think especially as educators, it's hard because we're not just talking about having dominion of ourselves and our home. We've got, a, in many cases, a classroom of students that we just inherit, and they come walking in all blurry-eyed from Netflix binging and you know, in smartphones, they just cut off 10 minutes before and put in their locker. Um, how do we, your question, can I, how do I discern wisdom and folly? I mean, that there's a lot of folly going on. How do we, how do we lean towards wisdom? We need your help. There, There's, there's a whole lot of folly going on. A lot of digital fools uh, logging online and then walking through our, our school hallways in our, in our home. So let's, let's just think very practically about this. In in this chapter, we uh, we really do. We get practical. If we, if we turn to the book of Proverbs, which is where this comes from, uh, we open up realizing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the first thing I would say to an educator or to a parent or to someone who just wants to get better at this themselves is um, gain a better, greater, bigger fear of the Lord. If you want to become more knowledgeable, the first thing you can do is realize that God is infinitely bigger and better than you ever imagined. And so if, if a teacher has a class where the students are walking in and they've been on iPads all weekend and it's Monday morning and okay, here we go. Well, win them with a greater vision of Jesus than they have of their phone or what their phones can bring them. You talked about Chalmers' expulsive power of a new affection. So I, I would encourage teachers and um, and, and uh, schools, um, man, fuel their affections for Jesus. Give them the attributes of God so that they would know that he is thrice holy and infinite and beyond time and that he's immutable. And, uh, you know, give them these, these rich, beautiful, biblical pictures of God. And all of the sudden, man, who cares about an iPhone or an Apple watch or a I, wait, this thing keeps buzzing. And I'm trying to think about something infinitely greater. Let me take this watch off and put it away. Yeah. Um, so I, I would encourage man, start with the fear of the Lord. Uh, 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 just be aware of how great he is. There are certainly, if if you are uh, if you're a parent and you're listening, there are some wisdom practices that you probably need to put into place. There are some times that you need to say, okay, device is the way. All right, let's let's log off. We're we're not going to have them on. Um, you may need to look at Sunday night and say, okay, we recognize Monday morning's coming, and we want to start the detox earlier on Sunday so that Monday morning's not as rude, you know. Um, what, what would it look like for you to have a device-free Sunday evening so that Monday when they get up and go to school, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it, even as, even as, as nitty gritty and as practical as get an old school alarm clock, right? You, if you use your phone as your alarm clock, then you know the temptation of rolling over and figuring out, you know, you know in the middle of the night, you wake up and you, you, you get online and the next thing you know, you're taking a quiz to find out which Star Wars character you are, right? No, it, it, you know, um, no, put the phone in another room, sleep with an uh, old school alarm clock next to you and uh, eliminate that, that distraction. But I think these are just practical, simple ways that we can exercise wisdom, whether it's in our classrooms, our schools or our homes. Yeah, those are, those are super helpful. And it's, 
you know, it gets, it gets more complicated. Honestly, as kids get older and, you know, and a lot of times parents will ask like, you know, when do we give them the phone? And, you know, that's a whole nother longer conversation, whether it's wait till eight or whatever, eighth grade and that kind of thing. But I think you're right. You know, when they get in high school in particular, I mean, they're, I just dropped my son off yesterday for his freshman year in college. I mean, there's a point where wow. they're going to have to figure out how to manage, self-manage this kind of thing. And it gets more complicated when all of a sudden it's not just the phone, it's a laptop, but you need the laptop to do the paper with for school. And oh, by the way, there's the iMessage that keeps popping up while you're doing your paper. I mean, you just can't get away yeah. from this, you know? And, and so, uh, but yeah, I think, I think I loved what you said right at the beginning that, man, let's just get them so excited about something so much bigger and better. And I, I'll, I want to, I can't reference in chapter and verse right now about, there is a movement for sure. And I've heard it from several sources of just, just, you know, teenagers today, just on their own accord, basically unplugging and saying, we want to have life mm-hmm. back. And it's almost kind of the new rebellion, which I fully am excited yeah. about. Because kids always want to, <laughs> hey, like, we're we're crazy rebels. We don't do that stuff on the phone all the time. We're just going to go have a picnic and have life right now. And I'm like, I, kid, I, right. I wish classical Christian schools could just be the biggest rebels on that and make it really, if I can use the word, cool to just say, no, we're not going to live on the stupid phone all the time. We're going to go have interesting conversations and go have rich adventures and so on. So yeah, Yeah, the sad reality is, is that many of them have seen their parents misuse their phones and their devices. And so they've said, man, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that when I grow (laughs) up. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put it away. So parent, you know, the message to the parent is that one of the things you might need to do is repent (laughs) and repent to your kids and and say, man, I'm, I am sorry. Let's, let's move forward in a better direction in faith and obedience. Now it's Jeff, you're sorry. Yeah. When I did that digital, asked the students for a three day digital fast, honestly, the biggest frustration was the parents because they came back and said, we got our phones off, our TVs off. I go in there and mom and dad's got their TV on. I was just, just making me think I was at a friend's house recently and he's building a new home and it's beautiful. And he was, he was so excited. I mean, he was putting 13 televisions in the room, including in the bathroom. And I just want to go, brother, what on yeah. earth need, who needs 13 televisions? But we just, yeah, it's the adults. Sometimes you're right. Are the worst um, at all of this for our students. So, you know, bring, let's, let's encourage the teenage rebellion around like say no to the technical, I mean, the techno gorillas around us, maybe. So, which leads to the last question, am I being missional? Talk about that. Super important question. Yep. Again, the 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 cultural mandate to that's given in, in Genesis 1 and 2 to, to have dominion, to create, is directly tied to the Great Commission, uh, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, James K. Smith talks about the the shaping uh, power of our of our habits, and um, uh, other theologians have have made these connections. That man, we're we're not just called to to bear God's image; we're called to display His glory. Those two things are tied together. So when it comes to exercising dominion over my devices, well, am I being missional? That's the final question. Am I am I am I using and leveraging my devices to make much of Jesus? The goal is not to exercise self-control so that I can say I'm better at self-control. The goal is to exercise self-control so that people can see how good Jesus is. Uh, so this this is uh, part of the tension because we've got to recognize that not all Christians are going to come to the same conclusion on this. And that's okay. Some Christians are going to read this book and say, you know what, in order to be more missional, I need to use my devices less. Amen. And okay. Some are going to say, you know what, in order to be more uh, missional, I need to use my devices more. Amen. And okay. But move forward on purpose, move forward with, with intentionality. So uh, there are multiple, um, 
uh, aspects to this that, that we look at um, in the book. W one of the ones that, that stood out to me as I was writing it is the opportunity to go on digital mission in community. So invite other people in to do this with you. So you asked earlier, what, what might a Christian educator do? Well, what would it look like if families in your school gathered together to say, you know what, let's, let's leverage our online lives for the glory of Christ and let's do it together. And part of that's going to be holding each other accountable. And Hey, I think you stepped out of bounds here, but another, another part of that is going to be, man, I'm, I'm going to be posting this this week in hopes to stir evangelistic conversations. Would you pray with me? And then, yeah, let's, let's, do, let's go at it in community. So I think there's, I think there's an opportunity. You used that word earlier. I think there's an opportunity that technology gives us. Think of all the missionaries throughout Christian history and they would love the technology we have today. Yeah. Well, let's leverage it. Well, let's be missional. That's great. And you, you, you reference Piper's talk from years ago and, you know, don't collect digital she seashells. What, yeah. what is, what's the point you're making there in light of the missional vision? Yeah. So Piper spoke to about uh, 20,000 college students and said, don't spend your retirement years collecting seashells so that you meet King Jesus after your death. And all you can say is, look at my look at my seashell collection. Well, I'm my concern is that many of those who were 20 years old when they heard that message 20 years ago are now in their 40s and they're just clicking next episode and they're downloading the next app and they're collecting digital seashells. And we're gonna look back when we see Jesus face to face and say, oh my goodness, I wasted an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think, and this again is, I appreciate you kind of saying, you know, we're all gonna, not all Christians are gonna think the same here and that's okay. I think it's also hard, especially hard in a, certainly church, but in a school environment where the way in which we engage gets so complicated, meaning, you know, we, we certainly do not want teachers engaging students on their devices. Like that, that that's not, there's all kinds right. of uh, <laughs> unhealthy ethical and practical problems with that. Um, and it gets complicated, you know, in terms of when you know, the school day doesn't end at 301 and what's the nature of that relationship in terms of our staff to what they're posting on social media and how they're, so there's an opportunity to be missional, but what does that really look like? And, you know, it's something as simple as let's, I mean, in a perfect world where we didn't have all these complexities, it'd be great if every teacher could, you know, receive, you know, prayer requests from families and there was sort of this, you know, healthy interaction. But I think the barriers we set up sometimes also limit us from the degree to which we can be successful, especially I'm thinking in the school context. And again, I think if anything, I'm just opening up this as a conversation for people to try to figure out, you know, on, on the spectrum of doing nothing to doing something, what does it look like to use digital technology just to extend the the care and compassion to our neighbor, to our families and so on. Cause it's, it's definitely um, messy when you get sort of into that context. It is. And that, that's a great, that's a great way to look at it. How, how, as, how can we as a school leverage technology? Well, yeah. 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 I think that's the, that's a great, a great question. Um, and, and there's certainly examples, I think in the church side of it, where you've got, you know, incredible evangelism opportunities, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, that was something I was involved in for years, and I see that. I mean, there's certainly around the world environments where the gospel does not happen as far as being presented well in a church context, and somebody on their smartphone and, you know, in their mud hut is hearing the gospel. I mean, there's clearly a need to do that type of 
evangelism and mission work, but where does it play out, I think, in the day-to-day ebb and flow of our of our lives and our students? Um, yeah, that's complicated and, and more challenging, but I appreciate you kind of helping us think about, as you talk about in the book, kind of engaging the digital Areopagus. Um, we've got to walk into the modern world and, and bring the gospel to bear. So very helpful. Yeah, and we trust that the Lord is at work in the midst of all of the mess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Jeff, um, just kind of by way of uh, parting thoughts, anything else, just word of encouragement to us who are out there on the front lines in classical Christian schools? I, I, well, first of all, I'd say thank you. Thank you. I, I am a fan of classical Christian education. I'm glad that you are there. I think you're a needed and important part in, in God's work. And I would encourage you, move forward on purpose. You're not going to have all the answers. That's okay. Move forward on purpose, knowing that the Lord is at work. Figure out how can I leverage technology for the glory of Christ and how can I do it well in the position yeah. he's putting me in? Well, and I think, you know, hearing you say that, I think I would just echo that and, and say perhaps a lot of times as classical Christian educators, um, we just quickly dismiss this as this, you know, distraction, bad thing. We shouldn't do it and just leave it as just a, as a, as a, again, coming against a vice rather than saying we're having these important conversations. And if you're working with middle or upper school students, I mean, I think that this is the air they breathe. So where, where are we having the healthy conversation of where are the virtues and vices within it, which is much what we've talked about here in the interview. So I encourage folks to get your, your book, Jeff, maybe just mention to people who are intrigued, where do they go to get it and learn more about you? So they can get the book at uh, Amazon or 10ofthose.com is is uh, the publisher, 10 of those. And um, they've got some phenomenal deals. So I think if you're going to order more than a couple copies, okay. they, they'd be worth checking out. Yeah. And I should mention too, and in, in your book, Jeff, and Digital Dominion, you've done a great job at the end of each chapter of offering up actually uh, just discussion questions. So this could be something that a variety of contexts, you know, a group of parents getting together or possibly even educators using it as basically a guide for some conversations in the classroom. I think it's, uh, it's, it's set up well for that. And it's a very readable book. It's not too uh, long and it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's structured well, I think for folks to get through and prompt the questions. So thank you for all your efforts to get this book out there. We des- definitely need it and desperately need it too. Thank you, Davies. I appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. We'll have you back on when you, you write part two, because I know there's a lot more of this to figure out, Jeff. Thanks so much. Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more and any topics that you'd like to hear too. Please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.